welcome to Sessorial Stories, the new LCF object-based podcast. We invite in figures who work in or with fashion and have to bring one item from their work or from their wardrobe and we use that as the basis of our conversation. My name is Susanna Cordner, I'm Senior Research Fellow of Archives here at LCF and I'm joined by Pandora Sykes. Hello. Hello Pandora, thank you for joining us. <laughs> um, so one of the ideas with Sessorial Stories is that we're going to have people who have different uh, strings to the bow or different perspectives within their profession. I think as any graduates or even uni students will um, completely empathise with, it's really hard to get a foot in the door um, with journalism. I imagine it's even harder now with the publishing world being quite untenable. So I started a a blog when I left university um, to have a platform for my writing to make sure I was right I had a discipline every day I don't think anyone that I ever interned for read it um, but that wasn't the intention then that was before blogging became like a profession yeah and it was revolting to look at it was black with hot pink writing and there wasn't any fashion on it either it was social commentary which has actually always been sort of my, my passion that's but um, that then developed into something else I no longer do that blog but that's how that started for example and then podcast that I do which is current affairs called the high low that started when I was at the Sunday Times and I wanted to I was just getting you know slightly itchy feet wanted to change things up and I decided to start that with another um, journalist called Dolly and so things have kind of emerged out of me thinking how can I um, how can I make how can I challenge myself how can I make my day more interesting how can I learn more Um, I am I am a bit of a, a sort of nerd in that sense I do really like learning stuff and there's so many different mediums now in which you can that's really interesting to kind of use your industry and your expertise to be kind of expansive rather than just having something that you're good at and sticking to it and that almost being what people come to you for or whatever that's yeah that sounds really really great um i've noticed on your website and in um kind of way that you present your work is that you you you're quite clear cut about the separate sections Uh, you'll have culture you'll have social commentary you'll have published work you'll have the podcast and is that deliberate to keep those well you know so that you almost I was going to use that word contaminate but that seems a bit brutal but you know that you're keeping these different um, ideas separate I am really stringent about it actually um so the podcast the high low is there's no fashion on that at Mm. all um we don't partner with fashion brands uh we wouldn't host events with fashion brands and that that's really strict and it's because um, it's because I think fashion, which is great, but fashion is all-encompassing. It's mm. the dominant gene. Yeah. <laughs> and by dint of being a fashion journalist, often other things I've done... So I've never just done pure fashion, mm. but I am often described like that. And in order to keep what I do fully representative, mm-hmm. I like to have, yeah, those very different um, creative endeavours. So there's no fashion on the podcast, yeah. and um, I'm quite careful about... I just try and make sure that all the different things I do are relayed in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why it's still so difficult for a woman to be equal parts fashion, equal parts yeah. social commentary, because actually the thing I've always been interested in is is women, mm. what they're talking about, what they're wearing, yeah. how they're relating to their bodies, what they're yeah. doing in their relationships. I'm fascinated by that, always have been. Yeah. And I, you know, I got sidelined into fashion because I love, I love, things I suppose I love how they I love how they look I love interiors I love Mm. color I love things like that but um that was never the thing that actually drove me mentally so so now to keep the balance um I yeah I I keep them quite strict I suppose that 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 is a good 
good way of putting it. Yeah, no, I think that sounds, that sounds really interesting. Because, yeah, I wanted to, you've sort of touched on it there, but I wanted to ask kind of what came first, the interest in in fashion and in social commentary or the passion for writing and documenting and kind of reacting and Defin- capturing what you see, which one Definitely the it? writing. Yeah. Like ever since I was tiny, I've been writing, uh-huh. writing, 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 reading. Um, when I was little, that was honestly all I all, all I did. I used to read about 14 books a week. <laughs> um, and <laughs> the fashion thing was obvious. I was surprised to be shepherded in that direction. It was more just I kept getting offered jobs in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that I ever actively pursued it, to be honest. But my mother wasn't surprised at all. She says she... I have always loved clothes. I've yeah. always loved arranging them. I've always loved playing with them. Yeah, there you um, go. Perhaps it was the combination. Yeah, exactly. Rem- recognizing that you yourself were already experimenting in that area, and maybe people thought that that would be yeah. a voice that you could lend. And, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I, and I obviously, I, I still, I, I love fashion, but I, I, I'm more interested in the context mm. around it. So something like what you do, mm. I don't. What I've, what I've. I think maybe outgrown a bit is the shopping element uh-huh. of it, sure. um, which has been quite a gradual and very productive process mm. for me. And I think came of, you know, leaving a, a fashion magazine yeah. where you are just ensconced in it. Yeah. And so now I try and look at fashion from a slightly different point of view, whether or not that's um, the consultant side, so the, yeah. the marketplace, the the marketing side of it, or um, I'm very driven by the personal style element and, you know, making sure you're not buying something just because Balenciaga did it. And that's a really good self challenge for me as well. Um, So there's a lot of different ways I think you can say, I think for a while, luckily it's sort of petered off a bit now, but when I said I worked in fashion, people go, oh, what trainers should I buy? And I think, yeah. I've got no interest in having that yeah. discussion with you. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. I get that, but almost from the other way around, where when I say what I do, people are like, great, can you sell my grandmother's clothes for me? I'm like, oh, no, it's not I had a lot of will you eBay this quickly. for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it becomes commercial again, even if you make it explicit you're interested in the context, in, in the wearers, in in the kind of culture of fashion and the commercial comes back around yeah but it took me a while to understand that and I did a lot of the commercial side and I think a lot of people would still think of a lot of what I do as very um commercial and I'm absolutely not sitting here saying I never buy clothes I never work with brands or anything like that but I've definitely found it more interesting realizing there are angles that I am more invested in that challenge me a bit more or that I can be more productive in yeah that sounds fantastic and do you think that's partly by going freelance and being able to, you know, clearly write and work in your own voice? Where it's, I, you know, before I think you were, mm. one of your columns was as the wardrobe mistress. And I slightly wonder if, if that was a character you had to play. It was. You're yourself. Yeah. She definitely wasn't me. She was a character served mm. to, um, the Sunday Times has one and a half million readers, yeah. most of them around 45. There was a lot of the high street on it. Um, she, she was an alias, um, mm. Which was which was great, and I learned so much about women from that. It's very mm. easy, I think, when you when you work in fashion to become quite um, myopic about it. And you know, when people say, "Oh, this is a contemporary brand that's very affordable," <laughs> well, ninety percent of the people in my life would never spend over two hundred pounds on something, yeah. so that's not an affordable yeah. brand, quote unquote. Yeah. So, but I had, but as you, but yeah, as you as you have probably accurately surmised, I definitely outgrew that role mm-hmm. but I think a lot of it just comes from getting older I mean mm. I don't know about you but yeah. as it, I, I turned 30 and I felt this really seismic shift of mm. um a bit Zoolandry but who am I and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what do I and what do I want to do and what am I interested in and I am really lucky now being freelance um because I have a few I'm not solely writing so I don't have to write things 
that I'm not invested in. Yeah. And that is a real luxury. Yeah. I write less, but when I do write a piece, I give it my everything. Yeah. And and, th- and that's a really lovely feeling. Yeah, and I'm very lucky, nice. I think, to be able to do that. You yeah. can't do that when you're staff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's level of integrity as well. As you say, if you're attached permanently to a particular mm. publication, you probably can't have. Whereas I imagine if you get commissioned for a piece now, it's because they want... Pandora's perspective on such and such. Or yeah. I can say, you know, I don't, I don't think you I would do the best to, job yeah. on that because I yeah. don't, I don't believe in that. Yeah. And, um, and that, and that yeah. is as, as I say, a real luxury yeah, to be able amazing. to do. And it's brave, I think, as well. I think it's a, a shift in, um, you know, your agency within it. So I think, yeah, that's great. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. Well, while while we're on the personal, perhaps we'll move on to what you've very kindly brought with you today. Yes. Um. So yeah, as set with the brief, um, you have to bring in an item from your work or from your wardrobe because we're audio. Um. Though I will try and get a snap um, for us to use. Could you describe what you've brought? Describe my jacket. <laughs> so you. I have bought in a red velvet floral blazer by a Polish designer called Magda Butram. And it has leather and studded lapels. It sounds really hideous when I, <laughs> when I read out what it looks like. Um, but it's not hideous. It's very no. special. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and there's quite a nice mix of colours and textures. I think that's the first thing that I noticed when it came out of your bag was the, the studs kind of catch the light first. And then that feeds through to the floral design. It's really, really beautiful. Um, so is this something from your personal wardrobe or is this a piece of work? This is something from my personal wardrobe. It was when you said, set me the challenge to bring something in. I had to think about, God, what's really meaningful? And um, normally I would actually choose something vintage because Mm. I love vintage shopping and those buys tend to be ones that are more um, meaningful to me. But I actually chanced upon this when I was combing through um, my clothes and I thought... This was the first, this, what I can remember, this was the first blazer I bought when I realised that they were my favourite, most useful style okay. of clothing ever. That's and I've built up a really get, great collection since I bought this mm-hmm. two years ago. And I think that was the starting point of me realising what item of clothing I loved the most. Yeah, okay. And kind of a big thing for my personal style, yeah, discovering what absolutely. suited yeah. my body shape yeah. and that kind and of thing. Yeah, a clear staple as well. And, it's really yeah. nice to have something, a shape that you return to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this really has, the blazer really has become, I have more blazers than I have t-shirts. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. So do you think that's partly because of the kind of smart associations? Or it's, I mean, it's slightly a masculine uh, thing or you'd associate it maybe with tailoring? I I think, what do you think is that I, makes it so clear cut for you? I think tailoring is something you do discover when you're a bit older because mm. I remember when I was younger, maybe sort of late teens, I always used to find it amusing when people were asked if you could only have three things in a wardrobe and they'd always say yeah. a, uh, a cigarette pant yeah. and, a, and, a, and a great white shirt and I think, God, those things sound so boring and then I go and put on my polka dot baby yeah. doll dress and as you get older it is a real cliche but you do realise that beautifully cut things are so important yeah. and also... It is such a discovery, I think, dressing for your body shape. Mm. And I'm five foot four, so I'm relatively petite. And a lot of coats can swamp me. And a blazer just really fits my proportions yeah. very well, with, you know, with a turtleneck underneath. Yeah. I also love that it's it feels quite... Um, trendless to me you mm-hmm. you can get blazers we are actually going through like a massive blazer yeah. sort of renaissance yeah. saturation call it what you will at the moment so so they are a bit trendy at the moment but i don't think 
I, d I just don't think blazers come in and out so no. it, it feels quite timeless for me yeah. and it's always always going to look great with high-waisted trousers it's always yeah. got that slightly french thing it's always got that like this feels quite vintage cued yeah it's obviously not yeah um, but, yeah the but association yeah. yeah exactly and it is and this particular one is, is playing a bit of a game because i said you know you said about how they're timeless and they're kind of an essential piece in that way but then and then i said about the masculinity or tailoring and this one is is, yes. is is kind of making references point but it's subverting them as well because it's it's velvet and it's floral and it's this light bright color so it's kind of inherently it's kind of contained well. within it it's that i like um sort of femininity grounded and contained within something slightly more structured mm -hmm. i i love print and i love color but in quite a disciplined way yeah i'm not very avant-garde with my shapes mm -hmm. i'm not particularly architectural they just don't sh suit me sure. um so this for me is quite a good way of helming it yeah. <laughs> for want of a better word yeah no that's great um, and it's amazing how much you can then contain within one garment. And as you say, never underestimate a blazer. Um, I'm interested in the designer. Um, so I hadn't actually heard of her before you um, pitched to her, but then I spent last night cramming on her. So, <laughs> um, well done. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Magdalene's really, really interesting. Um, I was particularly struck by the fact that um, so she's based in Poland, I think, mm -hmm. in Warsaw. Yeah. Um, and then she produces largely in Poland as well. I thought that yeah. was a really interesting angle, the idea of you know moving away from Paris and the ateliers and looking yes. for other artisans. Like, Does that appeal to you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's so interesting the way the internet's just democratised fashion, mm. not, not only through the direct consumer route or shopping via Instagram, but the way that these you know, luxury e-tailers like Netaporta and Matches Fashion mm -hmm. can just go. I mean, Lisa Aiken from Netaporta goes all over the world yeah. um, picking yeah. up brands. So, it, it, you know, the fact that Magda is in Warsaw, which is not a fashion mm. locus, is, is, is completely irrelevant. Yeah. But I also find it really interesting the way Eastern Europe is, op is opening up mm -hmm. in a fashion sense. You know, there's quite a lot coming out of Ukraine. Um, there's a lot of interesting brands coming out of Moscow. Yeah. And... I love when a brand comes from a new place. Mm. I just like, I love that sense of discovery. Yeah. But I don't think it's actually even necessarily important. Obviously, it's important where they manufacture their clothes and it's important yeah. how things are being made. But I don't actually think it really matters where someone comes from now. Yeah. Which is so nice, I think, for them. There's a designer called Peter Petrov who is um, based in Vienna. And he said, you know, it's, I can, it's not a particular fashion yeah. scene. I've lived in Milan, I've lived in New York, yeah. I've lived in London, but there's no reason why he can't live there. Absolutely. You know, he, come, yeah. he comes over for his, I don't know, wholesale meetings, sure. but you can the run it all. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's so nice for designers now that yeah. they don't have to be, um, uh, they, uh, what's it? You don't have to be bound to one of those four fashion yeah, exactly. yeah. cities. And perhaps it will inject a bit of diversity and kind of a, a wider range of influences as well um, if we end up having a wider spec in terms of where a designer can be based and therefore yeah. who they're seeing in the street every day and where their ideas are coming from whereas I think a lot of designers maybe start out um, you know in their hometown or wherever they've trained and then they end up in Paris or London and then their you know their inspiration point will be the same as all the other designers yeah and it can city. become more derivative can't yeah. it I think what's really funny as well is when I bought this I bought this directly from her I think I Ooh. I think it was after the collection had come out mm -hmm. and she wasn't very well known at all at the time mm. and then she got picked up by um lots of uh, retailers yeah. and now she's become quite cult yeah and 
it's that, and, and I still love her, but it's that funny thing now where people go, oh, is that Magda Buttram? And yeah. you think, oh my God, it's, it's, it's wonderful it's to see yeah. it grow. Her, it's wonderful to see her brand grow. Um, but I'm glad that I bought it at a time when, you know, she was a, yeah. a sort of wonderful secret. Exactly, that's it, exactly, yeah. So you were <laughs> nice supporting to have that and, memory. Absolutely, and you're kind of exploring, um, kind of supporting an experiment at that point now. I love doing yeah. that. I really like doing that. And whilst it can be sort of gutting to see something you love going so mainstream, yeah. for example, with berets, mm. oh, so depressing. There's so many and I just, I I just look like lots. I'm ripping off everyone else. Um, I'm also not one of those people that's precious. You know, I will share yeah. all my best yeah. finds yeah. Um, because you have to otherwise it's you're really <laughs> limiting the scope of that brand yeah. growing if you don't want to share it yeah so yeah, yeah you just have to go on and find you know something else exactly keep the hunt going <laughs> exactly. yeah <laughs> so would you say treasure hunting is a part of your job I or a part that. of your perspective yeah yeah I really love that I love um I always have a very specific idea of what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And actually, I, I do that very much with interiors as well. So I spend hours on, you know, these massive websites where you can find incredible bargains. You just have to trawl and you have to know what you're yeah. looking looking for. So I love anything visual. I love the, the hunt. Yeah. And it feels so special when you yeah track it down, which is why, which is why I do like a lot of vintage or antique yeah. things to offset with the yeah. more commercial pieces as you say yeah that's it well and that's kind of the thrill of the chase I think with vintage it's the idea that this might be the only time you can buy that item yes and I guess it's the same with samples with a new designer but you're like this is my moment and uh, my partner's going to be cross but I'm justifying it to myself <laughs> that this is the only time I'll find this particular dress that's really nice and so you've made quite a few references to looking online particularly within that treasure hunting research so is that the main you know, do you use Instagram or the internet to do it? Or are you more like, I think a lot of um, people would maybe have more of a tactile approach or want something mm. like that. But do you kind of cast your net really wide and then look in real life? Later? I'm definitely really, I'm a real internet shopper. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, yeah, as you said, it has to be tactile, it has to be tangible and they find it quite hard to commit unless yeah. they've seen it. I am very decisive. Mm -hmm. So I find it quite easy to inhabit a position of that's going to work for me mm -hmm. so yes I do almost all of my um shopping online I've always you know even when I was back at school I was on Etsy and eBay and now there's just yeah there's a lot of different websites that I look at but obviously it's lovely to buy something yeah. in the flesh there are a few places that I would go um mainly markets like whenever I go to Paris my mm -hmm. husband and I go every year for our anniversary mm -hmm. we'll always go to this market in the Marais um I live just by Portobello Road and I've bought some brilliant things there over the years I got a Gucci wool blazer from there about a year ago for 50 quid uh -huh, which amazing. is amazing yeah. and then there's you know there's a shop there with a woman who sells um Burberry uh, trench coats mm -hmm. which is the best selection of Burberry trench coats That's, I've ever yeah. seen for that price yeah. so I love that yeah. I will always go and do that in the flesh but in terms of buying if I'm buying something designer I will always get that online yeah. i'll always get that from netable draw matches yeah, sure. um but with something that's vintage then i'll then i'll go do that in person because yeah. i love that foraging and the atmosphere yeah, and, such a good word yeah, yeah i love to forage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quote of the day um yeah that sounds great so it's almost like there's two contrast points Definitely. in terms of what you're looking at so it's either foraging um for 
finished and sort of pre-existing collections and pieces or maybe the internet is more for hunting out the new names and um, as you've described not having to be based in kind of core um, retail points and fashion cities yeah, the internet definitely. means that you can see what's going on in Moscow without having to pop over that's yeah. really really great um, no, that sounds really, really interesting. Would you do you have any other names that you'd recommend as ones to ones to watch, or are you you know keeping them under ones to watch? Um, who else do I think? So Peter Petrov, who I mentioned, mm. I think is really interesting, and I've noticed him sort of getting a lot more attention recently. Yeah. Um, Attico is a brilliant one. That was started mm. by two. I suppose you could call them kind of street stylists. That dreadful word um Gilda Ambrosio and Giorgia Tortini but they're actually both incredible designers and their yeah. showroom in Milan was amazing um and Georgia kind of designs from a much more classic timeless point of view and sure. Gilda designs with this very kind of um sort of flamboyant uh yeah. disco-ish vibe uh Blase Milano is it's very expensive but beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. blazers um, yeah, blazers. Nice. You've just referenced again timelessness and picking pieces that will last rather than pushing product, and that's really really nice. The yeah, they're all. I mean, those are you know they're expensive brands. Those brands, mm. but they do for me. It's not. It's not like Balenciaga or Prada in that they. You can immediately place where they're from. Yeah. Um, they have a signature on them. And of course, these brands do have a signature. Yeah. They have they have a USP, but it feels a bit more anonymous. Yeah. And um, I think it's all about. I hate the idea that you could spend a lot of money on something and then go off it because everyone yeah. has it. Yeah. So there's been stuff that I've really wanted, but I've resisted sure. because yeah. I know that I'll see it. Yeah, exactly. So too many places. Yeah. So it's got to remain um, a personal commitment that you're kind of making to that piece in a way that you like yeah. it in its own right. As well. And there's nothing wrong with buying something if everyone else has it, mm. if you already if yeah. wanted it. But yeah. I think you have to question your motives for yeah. acquiring something, yeah. because it's it's very seductive to think that something's going to change your life. <laughs> I mean, we all do it, yeah. women and men. Yeah. You see something, and you go, oh "My God, I would just look so much cooler in life. It'd be so much better." <laughs> yeah. But you know, that doesn't really happen like that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to buy it for slightly more grounded reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. At that point, fashion's more like a costume and it's something to make an entrance and um, almost as a descriptor of your status and something rather than it being a descriptor of your personality. Yes, um, that's a really good way of putting it. I think, uh, yeah, connecting all those ideas, it's interesting how you were saying that <clears throat> what really initially inspired you or what remains your obsession is the idea of women's stories and mm. knowing about women's actual experiences. Um and I was wondering if you ever kind of look at a piece and you pin it on a particular per you know, are you kind of mapping out styles for other people? Do you see something and you think it'd be perfect for your mother or you know, or is it very much um is style for you um, you know, a personal choice and distinction? Do you know what, rather awfully, I, I don't think I tend to look at that and think that would look great on so-and-so. I think I see it all through quite a personal yeah, lens. Because when I was in New York in September, um, going to the fashion shows, I found that I wasn't terribly engaged in it. And I was mm-hmm. speaking to a friend of mine called Leandra, who has a brilliant website called Man Repeller, oh, yeah, yeah. which I write for. And both of us are pregnant. And we were, and she said, I think it's because we know we can't wear any of it. Uh-huh. And I thought, my God, that's so mm. awful. And I wasn't <laughs> even planning to buy it anyway. But I think without realising mm. I, I, how I experiment with fashion is 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 through me personally. Yeah. I don't style very much now and I don't I don't tend to write 
how to get addressed features mm. for other women. It's all from a very personal point of view. Yeah. Um, so how I engage with clothes, not necessarily brands, but how yeah. I engage with clothes is, is very singular. So yeah, no, I think I'm just looking for myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. And, and that kind of does contrast. With, uh, I think that's great that you will that you're that honest about it being identity driven as well because I've noticed something in the pieces that you've written now that um, you're freelancing completely writing in your own mm. name is that you are also uh, you're not afraid to have your opinions um, and, no, I, and no. I found that particularly on with your podcast but also um, you had a great piece on your website about uh, giving up on superlatives and uh, kind of the you know the different definitions that we use to describe a garment and therefore the woman that's wearing them yeah that's interesting because that's thinking about women women's experience and women as a collective rather than just your experience as an individual yes i think it's it's definitely sort of a trope in women's media to to think of women as quite tribal Mm, like who is she yeah and i have always found that grouping together quite difficult i think i really resist grouping together full Mm -hmm. stop i don't like the idea that um journalists are all the same people Writers are all the same people. Yeah. Influencers are all the same people. Yeah. All of that. I've definitely found it quite interesting in being a quote unquote sort of lady podcaster yeah. <laughs> that I get grouped into. Oh, we thought you might want to do something with this because they're another female podcaster. We don't have anything in yeah. common except for the fact that they're women. Yeah. And and I find that very interesting in in the descriptors around mm. us as well. I remember we got a review that was that was not insulting I think it was meant to be complimentary but you know it said um it, it, it's so sort of enjoyable listening to them natter or it, you'd think it might be frivolous and I thought well why would you think it would be yeah. frivolous we're both journalists we're talking Absolutely. about current affairs we we're very well read yeah. you're thinking it might be frivolous because we're women yeah and so I I really resist that quite yeah. wholeheartedly and I don't and I don't know why by dint of being a woman you have to be put in a yeah female I mean I think it's great that um, female podcasts are having a big moment yeah. but I also don't think that that necessarily has to be um, the leading descriptor uh, on everything yeah, that agree. on everything that yeah. you do yeah exactly hopefully it's a coincidence that it's um, it, you know it's more the subjects that get that, uh, meaning that the audiences are growing rather than the fact yeah. that it's also people are interested in hearing women's voices so hopefully yes and I don't and I, d- and, and, and I don't um, and I don't want to do that a disservice because it's so, I mean, look at the last few weeks with the yeah. Me Too hashtag. It's really important that women have voices. But I, I sometimes I think we don't need to be so kind of crass about it. Yeah, I, we don't yeah. need to be like, here's a woman with yeah. a voice and it's not a silly voice, it's yeah. a good voice. Here's another woman. You know, just yeah. kind of be a bit more platform that, champion that. Yeah. Uh, but but it doesn't need to be so kind of yeah, club exactly. head. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It's, it should be, here is um, a, a person who happens to be a female who's incredibly talented at, or who is here yeah. to share their expertise. And to be fair, at. this is all quite new. I, I, I always get quite annoyed when people say, well, these are tiny steps. We need bigger steps. Mm. Of course you do, but Rome yeah. wasn't built in a day, and I think yeah. it's really important to acknowledge yeah. progression yeah. in its minutiae as much yeah. as in its bigger things. So um, it's, you know, it's it's okay that we might be using this slightly grating terminology mm-hmm. if it means we're hearing those stories yeah, in an ideal world we it, we wouldn't be using it yes. but also let's remember the bigger picture which is that these stories are getting told yeah yeah so I that's important to hold at the front of your mind i think yeah i think that's really really strong um i'm interested with that idea of kind of feminine exposure and feminine strength the idea of your career and its connection to fashion i personally find i get a lot of people um simultaneously 
saying it's not very feminist to be interested in fashion, but also patronising so me for having a feminine interest in fashion, if that makes sense. So they're sort of being sexist and calling me sexist at the same time. <laughs> um, when actually, I personally, and I think we might have this in common from what you've said, but one of the things I love about my job is that um, if this is a female-driven industry or interest, a lot of the time I get to tell women's stories, particularly from a historical perspective. I get to hunt out all the entrepreneurs and inventors of the 19th century um, who were women who history is forgotten um, and yes they were working in fashion but they were doing incredible things and living independently etc um, do you find that you know is fashion something that we can utilise and this is a feminist subject or as a way of talking about women and women's mm. experience I mean there's a lot you hear it cited a lot where people where, where women actually say maybe just remind you that fashion is a billion dollar exactly, industry yeah. you, you know this isn't just built on um, the colour blue you know yeah. there's, a, there's I think there's a really interesting moment in Devil Wears Prada yeah. actually where she's yeah. my husband knows the whole of that film off by heart so he often <laughs> quotes it to me um where where she's saying you know you think this is just a blue yeah. jumper that you picked up in a discount bin but where did it come from yeah. I get really annoyed when people um try and suggest that having an interest in fashion negates um an interest in weightier things yeah or that it somehow makes you trivial. Yeah. I mean, that's the very pre premise of the high-low, is elevating the low to the high and the yes. high to the low. It's all about the tone in which you talk about it. Yeah. And to suggest that the way a woman gets dressed is not important is grossly missing the point. Mm. Because who, who you are is so closely related to how, you know, how your clothing, yeah. your your body and where you're where you're getting your identity from and your confidence and it's related to so many other things yeah. in the world i remember i wrote a piece about anxiety for the sunday times once and i got a tweet saying you know you're not in afghanistan stick to being wardrobe mistress and that to me is a really is a really strong indication mm. of how these things are still considered really binary yeah and unfortunately it is often men mm. i was at a party for the spectator about a year ago and i told a man there that i was a fashion journalist mainly by trade and i could literally see his eyes glazing yeah. over and so it is quite it is quite predictable in that sense there are however i am sort of cheered by the fact there are so many women out there who um, have started in fashion or primarily known for fashion who are so smart and doing such interesting things. I mean, Miroslava Duma, mm. who was obviously a Russian street styler, again, for want of a better word, is now mm. doing the most incredibly interesting, innovative things yeah. with um, sustainable fabrics and all of her labs. Um, Leandra, who started Man Repeller, now has 24 people working for yeah, her. She's branched into retail. There's yeah. a lot about mental health there. Hadley Freeman, Eva Wiseman, you know, yeah. two of the most well-known journalists, both at The Guardian, both used to do a lot of fashion writing. I don't think Hadley does any anymore, but Eva still has a beauty yeah. column. You know, there are myriad women doing myriad things, yeah. one of which is fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And write them off at your peril, is yeah. what I say. <laughs> and write off fashion at your peril. But yeah. that's something that I'm able to um, verbalise a lot better now. I'm older and I'm sure mm -hmm. of who I am. When I was younger, I just used to feel uncomfortable and I just used to know that there was something that wasn't quite sitting mm -hmm. right with me I yeah. suppose um which is sad I I think it will always I think it will all it will always be there for some people ditto the people who think that you know who go oh my god the Kardashians what a waste of space mm. now 
that doesn't mean you have to watch the show, but to dismiss them as a pop culture yeah, construct absolutely. is to completely miss the way society is being run, yeah. the way millennials and Gen exactly. Z are growing up. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by the way society yeah. is shaped by stuff like that. Yeah. So it's fine if you're not interested in it, but dismiss it and you're missing a huge amount of what's going on in yeah, absolutely. You're pop choosing, culture. Yeah, you're choosing your own circle and your own perspective to the detriment. Echo so. chamber. Yeah, exactly, echo chamber. Um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Some of the things that you highlighted there were the idea of kind of fashion networks and also fashion as a network of women. And I think yeah. kind of returning to the blazer, it's really interesting the idea of, um, you know, this woman setting up a brand in Warsaw away from the traditional kind of fashion scenes yeah. and support systems, therefore, but also production lines. And yeah. she is creating, you know, her own mini empire through that by having her own team and creating, you know, work for these artisans, etc. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, a hugely... Um, they're empowering other women yeah. by by doing that. And as you say, it's um, they're setting it up away from the, yeah. the herd. Yeah, exactly. So they're empowering, but also just literally employing. Um, yes. So, you know, there was, there's a really basic thing at the core of this. Like, yeah. There's quite a lot of um, smaller British brands that I work with who, you know you know really highlight having women in their supply chains and I think that's a really mm. incredible thing to, to look at and that's you know that is an empowering side it's not just about wearing it it's about thinking where it, it comes from and yeah what it says. but you know I also think the more brands that are headed up by uh, women the better is to kind of um, support our argument it's quite <laughs> a, I do think we're quite lucky with a fashion away though because I think it's quite a feminist industry mm. you know it's um most of the people that work in fashion are women. There's, of course, a lot of designers who still design for a invisible woman, I yeah. like to call her. You know, she can't wear a bra and she doesn't have <laughs> hips. But most most of the really powerful designers right now are female. Mm. You know, Phoebe Philo, um, Stella McCartney, yeah. um, Mucha Prada. Uh, I'm having... No. I'm really struggling to think. So, you know, I, I actually think that we it's some it's when you step outside of the industry mm. i think yeah. where it can be quite hard but i feel like i am surrounded by powerful women yeah. when i go to fashion shows or when i go to fashion Absolutely. awards it's think, very yeah. female driven I, com I completely think that i think anytime you see a front row or the audience at one of the main like one of the core fashion houses you can't say that this is an industry where it's just a bunch of men in a boardroom. Um, what lots of people do say though is, but who are the CEOs? And, yeah, and when you look totally at all true. of the big yeah. conglomerate CEOs, yeah. they are still men. Yeah, that's that's the slight terror, we'll and I think shift, it also though. ends up being the case with um, kind of women's magazines and publishing as well. Um, the editor yeah, might be female, exactly. but who is the CEO? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that you know, just because they're a man doesn't mean they're not supportive of the message. And no, of course. Kind of that, but it is. Yeah, you're totally right. It's interesting, but in terms of kind of. Uh, maybe influence and style setting and therefore maybe being slightly feminist and not driving styles that are completely impossible for the everyday woman and body maybe that is an area where there's lots of different female voices um, yeah 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 no it's interesting um so maybe to kind of round us up mm -hmm. as part of this series um as i've said and as you've done you bring in an item from your work or your wardrobe and each person will pick a completely different piece um i'm kind of interested in what you think that object would represent about you let's say i was creating you know i went with the archives and collections at lcf let's say each piece was going to be catalogued um what would you think this would represent about you in 20 years time um oh or about your industry or perspective i think it would go back to what i said earlier about it being sort of quite riotous and joyful mm. but contained mm. um 
because I'd say that's probably quite a good description of my personality as well is there is sort of flamboyance and creativity in it but then I'm also quite anal (laughs) and regimented (laughs) so it is it's sort of helm like that and I suppose it would be um it would just be a sort of key part of personal style for me just something beautiful that would stand stand the test of time Mm. and as for what it stands for as you say it it's a piece that will hopefully remind me of a time where fashion became much more um what's the word if it's diaspora diasporic is that a word yeah it is okay I mean I try a new one every day um fashion's diaspora (laughs) thanks to the internet um and I think I'd love to know in 20 years you know will will Magda still be this great cult designer will she be sort of one of the stalwarts Mm. I mean her designing's beautiful so I don't see it going anywhere but it's it it's interesting to think about how yeah how it will change to mean something hopefully it will just be in my wardrobe something I pull out as I do now every time I'm wearing a boring outfit yeah it's just the ultimate um gear changer yeah there we go (laughs) yeah well then just as a final question with that in mind um do you do you keep and do you collect? You know, it, is it that a piece remains in your wardrobe and will carry on, as you say, being pulled out? Or do you have somewhere where you store away treasure? I do both, actually. I'm not one for storage. I am a rampant purger. Um, <laughs> not so I don't, not so much with see something, wear it twice, sell it on. Mm. But if I accumulate something and it hasn't been that meaningful, then yeah. I will think. So I do sales. Um, largely driven through my Instagram about three times a year where I give 50% to charity and I always work with different charities when I do it. Yeah. I'm actually going to do another Instagram flash sale I think in a few weeks because I'm moving house and I've got a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. I think I just don't need to take that with me. Again, yeah. pregnancy is quite a good time to... I can't wear any of it so I can step <laughs> step back and look at it all. <laughs> stuff like stuff like this would... Um, my blazers, which all tend to be slightly more investment pieces, mm-hmm. they all t- tend to be more expensive so... Um, I've got one by Blasio Milano, one by Rasil, one mm. by Gucci. All of those, well, my Gucci one was actually £50, so cheaper than Topshop. Yeah. <laughs> All of those are not things that I would sell on. When I sell stuff on, it's likely to be something vintage that didn't mm. quite fit, yeah. which does yeah, happen, and you just have to take it. Or um, high street stuff. Yeah. Sure. So, but but this so, would stay. Yeah, and the things that you keep, you carry on wearing them. As well. Yes. So, yeah. So, yes. Because I know a lot of um, people who, well, myself included, well, they have a portion of their wardrobe where it's almost um, just to look at, or it's it's like as a reference piece, or because you find it really beautiful. Like, there's, I've got a couple of things that I think I might just have to frame because I'm never going to wear. Because I never, them, I do I actually. I've put some nails on my wall, and I yeah. do hang dresses yeah, on there. At the moment, like, I have. Oh, that, here's another brand actually mm. that's I think is brilliant and is very on the up. Is Regina Pio, ah, yeah, who's obviously yeah. been nominated yeah, for the um, emerging designer at the British Fashion Awards which I'm super excited about because mm. I voted for her and <laughs> on my nails at the moment I have a Regina Pio dress which is beautiful it's the Greta dress and it's just such a brilliantly female body friendly mm-hmm. dress um, which came from Regina herself being pregnant and going from a size 8 to a size 14 and every right. size in between and yeah. it flatters boobs and bums and hips and it's anything just, you've got going yes <laughs> can't wonderfully so I have that dress up there which I can't wear at the moment because I don't fit into it and I have my wedding dress hanging oh, up there which I'll never great. wear again um, I, I still haven't even dry cleaned it but it's nice no, but to look at amazing. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I think that's amazing I, I always prefer not I worked on an exhibition about wedding dresses and my favourite ones were the ones where there was confetti trapped in the in the seams or champagne stains mine's got everyone's 
bronzer yeah. on my <laughs> boob from when I hugged from them. People. Yeah, exactly. Because I was looking at that going, that's so weird. I didn't fake tan. Yeah, so where why? Is where's it coming from? And it was everyone's makeup. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of nice. I think that's good. It becomes Got them all part on it. Of the sto- yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're part of your memento. It becomes part of the story of the day rather than just being this preserved piece that's kind of, you know, you said you want to be attached to stories and the kind of social life of fashion. So maybe that's what your wedding dress um, can live I like that. The social life of fashion. That's, that's <laughs> how I'll describe what I love. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, no, thank you. Um, so that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for coming in. It was a really interesting conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah.